Pastor Xavier Rees says there comes a point in life where you can't do anything but just let go and let God. God can work in ways that we have no idea about. And there's a point that we limit the Lord. We say, oh, it's just so terrible. I'm just, it's, it's too late. And, you know, I might as well just hang it up. Well, how bad is your situation? Have you reached the end of your resources? Good. Now maybe God can work. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Most all leaders have one thing in common. They want to leave a legacy, their mark in history. But all too often, that mark is meant to glorify their own name, their own plan, yet often at the cost of those whom they lead. Today, Pastor Xavier begins an examination of one of the greatest leaders of all time, but a leader who always put his people first. Let's join him for the beginning of a Simple Truth Character Study series of Moses. The prophets of the Old Testament were men who were the mouthpieces of God. They spoke as the Spirit of God directed them, not of their own impulse. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 tells us. Their character, reputation, and memory of each of them has been engraved in the mind and the hearts of the Jewish as well as the Christian community forever. But one that surpasses them all is Moses. He is seen as the national hero, the deliverer, the prophet of God, the intercessor, the judge, the healer, the miracle worker, the shepherd of the very nation that sprung out of Egypt. He occupies more material than any other person in the Bible as he is the dominant figure from the book of Exodus through the book of Deuteronomy. He's mentioned throughout the other books of the Old Testament as well constantly and is referred to throughout the New Testament. In view of the amount of material that deals with Moses, we want to look at his life in three studies. It's impossible to do it in one. We want to begin by looking at Moses, the called deliverer, which reveals to us four things. First, the conceiving of Moses in Egypt. Secondly, the raising up of Moses in Egypt. Thirdly, the training up of Moses by God away from Egypt. And then fourth and last, the sending of Moses back into Egypt. Now, this aspect of Moses' life, Moses the called deliverer, occupies the time from his birth to the exodus from Egypt. So we're going to go from Exodus chapter 1 to Exodus chapter 13. This is the period, okay? So first of all, we see the conceiving of Moses in Egypt, chapter 1. Notice first, the birth of Moses occurred during the time of severe oppression in Egypt. Chapter 1 tells us that. In verses 6 and 7, it tells us the sons of Jacob under the care of Joseph had grown and multiplied abundantly, and they filled the land. Remember, there was 70 went in. The Septuagint says 75 because it includes the sons of Joseph, his wife, and so on and so forth. So that's where you get the discrepancy. Now, in verses 8 and 11 of chapter 1 there, the nation of Israel had been born 
and was now a threat to the king who knew not Joseph. There's the key. Fearing they would fall in with the enemy if there was ever an uprising or a war, so they placed them under bondage to build the cities of Pharaoh and oppressed them severely. When you go to verse 12 on down to 14, it tells us the more they were afflicted, the more they grew. And the parents of Moses were both from the tribe of Levi. In verses 15 through 17, the king spoke to the Hebrew midwives and told them that when they came to do service to bring the child forth, that they were to kill all the male babies and then the females they could keep. As you go from verse 18 to 21, the king petitioned the midwives, and the midwives told the king that the Hebrews were not like the Egyptian women. When they got there, they were gone already, back to work. So God blessed them because they did not kill the Hebrew children. And so the king went to plan B. In verse 22, he made a decree to cast all the male children into the river. Kind of what Herod did, right? Remember when Jesus was born? The satanic attack against the Jewish nation has been from the beginning, as well as from the children of God. We always speak of the six million Jews, but how about the six million Christians? They're both targets. Anybody who believes in God is a target, and if you're born again, you're really a target. You need to understand that. Notice, secondly, when you get to chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, the birth parents of Moses were godly people. Verse 1 and 2 tells us they were married for a while, and then Moses was conceived. Their names are not given to us here, but if you mark down Numbers 26, 59, it tells us that his father's name was Amram, and his mother's name was Jacobed. They were both of the tribe of Levi, they had two other children born to them, an older brother, Aaron, and a sister, Miriam. By the way, they will become a problem to Moses as we continue to study him. Keep them in mind. Now notice in verse 2 down to 3 that they hid their baby for three months due to the decree to cast the male babies into the river, and that's the Nile River. Uh, when they could no longer hide him, they made an ark dabbed it with pitch and placed it in the reeds of the riverbank. It's interesting, this word pitch to cover is the same word pitch that Noah used to cover the ark <laughs> for water not to get in. And, it, and it's the word, the root word, kofar, atonement. It's the root of the same word. How interesting. Notice in verse 4 through 9, the daughters of Pharaoh came out to bathe in the river and Miriam stood afar off to see uh, what response she would uh, have towards the baby, and she had compassion. So Miriam volunteered to find a Hebrew nurse for the child, and then she agreed and said, I'll pay wages to her. How interesting. You know, here you see divine providence, so incredible. Because Moses' own mother got paid for raising the child. <laughs> How interesting. When you look at verse 10 of chapter 2, the mother of Moses weaned the child and brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, giving him the name of Moses, for he was drawn out of the water. Drawn out, that's what Moses means. It must have been really difficult for Moses' mother, and at the same time, as we're going to see as we move on, that God was in control and God was ministering to her heart. We don't get all that record here, but we're going to see how it all fits together. Now notice thirdly, as we've seen this, the birth parents of Moses are declared to be people of faith according to the New Testament commentary. 
The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 23, tells us that by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, let me point out some things here, according to Hebrews' commentary. First of all, the fact that they acted in faith tells us that they did not act on their own will, but on the revelation of God. For faith is biblical faith only when it is in obedience and based on divine revelation. Otherwise, it would be presumptuousness. They acted in faith, meaning that God administered their heart and they trusted God to hide that child and they trusted God to put that child in that little ark according to God's directions. Anytime you and I act apart from the word of God, that's not faith. That's presumptuousness or stupidity, one of the two. Biblical faith must be based upon objective revelation. A lot of times I say, well, you, my, I have faith, I, have, I believe. What? What do you believe? What is it that you're believing? Is it based on the word of God? Well, no, not really. Well, it's not faith. It's just hope so. Biblical faith is I know so. It's recorded in the scriptures. I can count on it. I trust it. Secondly, the fact that Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on the baby and had the mother of Moses nurse it till he was weaned reveals divine revelation and intervention as well as preparation of a deliverer for the Hebrews. Uh, you know that the book of, um, of Esther, God's not mentioned at all, right? But if there's any book where you see the hand of God behind the scenes, there it is. <laughs> God was behind the scenes here as he always is. A third thing from Hebrews, or not Hebrews, but the New Testament commentary. Stephen, as he's ministering in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 21, he told the men of the synagogue of the freedmen, but when he was sent out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. Now you tell me that didn't have to be God. God can work in ways that we have no idea about. And there's a point that when we limit the Lord, we say, oh, it's just so terrible. I'm just, you know, it, it's, 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 it's too late. And, you know, I might as well just hang it up. Well, are you God? How bad is your situation? Have you reached the end of your resources? Good. Now maybe God can work. But we always seem to limit the Lord by the difficulty of our problem, Right? I mean, if you have a cold, you have no qualms about asking me to pray for you, right? But then you get the bad news you have cancer. And you don't know if God will heal you. So see, we limit the Lord in many different ways. Now, I don't mean to propose that it's according to your positive belief or confession. I'm just trying to give you an illustration that our humanness gets in our way many times. And it's legitimate. But we have to learn from the scriptures and know that if I belong to God, then, then God's in control of my life and I have to commit myself to him. And Peter says, that's in my sufferings, 1 Peter 4, 19. One day, Gabriel, the angel, revealed to Zechariah that his prayers had been answered as God heard them and his wife Elizabeth would bear a son. Now, they were righteous before God and blameless as well as Amram and Jacobet. Identically, 
And their son will be the one to announce the coming Messiah of Israel. When was this announcement made to Zechariah? When Israel was in bondage to Rome. God is always faithful to his people in bondage, is he not? Have you ever read the book of Judges? <laughs> God is so merciful. People that want to get down on God should read the book of Judges and find out how merciful he is. If I was God, the book of Judges would be a lot different. <laughs> merciful, gracious, long-suffering, willing to forgive. That's why Jonah ran away, right? God says, go to Nineveh. He says, no way, you'll forgive him. I'm gone. Jonah ran away because he knew his God. The problem with Jonah was he didn't want to become like his God. That's our problem many times. The conceiving of Moses occurred during the time of bondage of the Hebrew nation in Israel. Now notice secondly, we have the raising up of Moses in Egypt. Beginning chapter 2. First of all, verse 11 through 14, the raising up of Moses from the weaning time to his adult life in Egypt is given to us in only five verses. Five verses, 40 years. <laughs> now notice in verse 11 to 12, the man Moses one day went out to see his brethren. You're familiar with the story, the Hebrews, uh, and, and seeing their burdens and an Egyptian beating one of the brethren, he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Moses looked this way, looked that way, but he saw no one, so he killed him. But Moses forgot to look up, for God is the one who sees all things. You ever see somebody who wants, doesn't want to be caught in something? They go, I always look around this way, that way, but they don't look up. <laughs> the following day, verse 13 through 14, he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked them why the one was striking his companion, only to be responded to in sarcasm and in an accusation. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Uh-oh. So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And then verse 15 tells us that Pharaoh sought to kill Moses when he found out that Moses fled the presence of Pharaoh to the land of Midian. Moses spent 40 years in Egypt being raised up to be somebody. And it all fell apart. Isn't that the way of the world? We work hard. We, you know, I'm going to make this. I'm going to do that. You know, and falls apart. Notice thirdly here, the raising up of Moses is enriched by the New Testament commentary, which is quite illuminating in view of the limited Old Testament record. Stephen helps us out in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 22 through 23. Stephen tells us about the education and age of Moses when, he, when this occurred. He says, and Moses was learning all the wisdom of Egypt and was mighty in word and deed. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now I've been to Egypt two times. Uh, those pyramids are still there. <laughs> we don't know how they build them. The math necessary for all that. Things that they're embalming techniques. 
Incredible. Moses was probably a pretty sharp guy. And yet, God had other plans for him. As often as when you come to the Lord, you have your own plan, your own agenda, and all of a sudden God says you and he says, okay, let's make a left here. Wait a minute, wait a minute, what do you mean left? Turns my life around. Stephen gives us the reason for his actions. In verse 25, he says, For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. So this tells us, according to Stephen, chapter 7, verse 25, that Moses knew that God had called him to be a deliverer. How did he know? Think. Who was hired to wing, to nurse Moses? His own mother. His mother knew about Moses and God's plan. And the Hebrew mothers would take their children, as according to Deuteronomy, and would continually minister unto them, Yahweh is Lord. Yahweh is Lord. And they were little. And just talk to them about him. And I'm sure that she just ministered unto him over and over and over again. And God's word and God's will was there. The world did not drown it out. And all of a sudden, here he is, 40 years old, and he says, man, it's time. There's one mistake. God's will and God's timing are two different things. God's will is according to God's timing always. God may promise something to you, but the key is when. You and I want it right now. (laughs) But God's timing may be something else. Now, what if God has a work for you, but he wants you to wait 40 years? Now, what are you going to do for 40 years? You're you're 20 years old right now. And your mind says, 60? I'm an old man. I ain't going to wait. You lose out. Rather than saying, wow, I have 40 years to get prepared. Whoa. Jesus prepared himself 30 years for three years of ministry. I think that's a sharp rebuke to all of us. God's timing. God's will. The choice that Moses made is revealed to us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 24 through 27. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward by faith, He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, let me point out some things through the New Testament commentary. First of all, note in the book of Hebrews that it took place when he became of age. The appointed time for God to call him out of Egypt. Certainly, it cannot mean adulthood, for he was 40 years old. 
Galatians 4, 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent for the son made of a woman under the law. When the fullness of time had come, when the right time came, God was calling Moses, but Moses thought he called him to deliver. No, God was calling Moses to get out of Egypt. I got to make sure I know what God called me out of and what he's calling me into. I cannot assume or presume. I must know. Very important. Secondly, note also that his choice was between the temporal affliction in contrast to the temporal pleasures of sin. Now, grant you, sin is a blast. I loved the sin in the world. It was fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. So, as a Christian, don't go out and tell non-believers that sin is not fun. They'll look at you like you're crazy. Of course it is. But even in the world, the pleasure was so limited and so temporal that the aftermath, the consequences, all the junk that came with it, it lasted a lot longer, did it not? And there's a deception. Satan never lets you see the consequences or tells you about them. He, he shows you the pleasure, the thrill, the excitement. And he lets you find out the consequences all on your own. Notice thirdly, he valued the reproaches of Christ as greater riches than the riches of Egypt. For he looked for a reward that he could not lose. Ooh, good perspective. Notice that it says that he esteemed the reproaches of Christ of greater riches. Who did Moses see? He saw Jesus. Every time someone saw God in the Old Testament, it was Jesus. When Isaiah saw the throne of the Lord high and lifted up, his glory that filled his temple, it was Jesus. John tells us that. Not the Father. Note thirdly that by faith he forsook Egypt. In other words, God revealed this to him. When he left, he left by faith. Okay? Lastly, note his source of endurance was that he had seen God in the person of Christ who is invisible until the incarnation. Paul tells the Colossians that Jesus Christ is the visible form of the invisible God. God, who at different times and diverse manners spoke in times past to the fathers through the prophets, has in these last days spoken us to who? Through his dear son. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and God became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 1, 1, 14. Invisible, now visible, through the incarnation. But Moses saw Jesus, he who was invisible. That's how he endured now, if he endured seeing the invisible, how about us? We have a greater evidence than he had, much greater. Our endurance will be in direct proportion to our vision of Jesus on a daily walk in fellowship. Did not Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of living a life that is completely dependent upon the Lord. 
And it's that kind of surrender that will bring you the blessing of a closer walk with the Lord. As always, you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's much more to come right here next time as well. Now, if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can pick up a copy of this message. And the title to ask for is Moses Part 1. It's available on CD for only $4. Once again, the title is Moses Part 1. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Sometimes living by faith doesn't always make the most sense to us, but God never fails. That's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com